Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Hey, as we wrap up this series, I got one question for you. What happens when what was good goes bad? What happens uh, when all your dreams turn to nightmares? What happens when all your hopes turn into your despairs? What happens when it's supposed to be good, but it's just downright evil? As we wrap up this series, I want to talk about probably the most important thing in the understanding of how everything we've talked about in this series works. Uh, and I want to deal with something that's going to be very difficult both for me to preach and will be difficult for you to hear. And it'll be even more difficult for you to give yourselves to. There's two of the greatest doctrines of the Christian faith. Salvation by God and sovereignty of God. Two of the most important foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. Salvation by God. In other words, we talk about substitutional atonement. That we are sinners and God has substituted our death on the cross to the life of his son Jesus. That Jesus substituted our place in death when he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Most important doctrine in all of, all of Christianity. But on its heels is the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. And what I mean by the sovereignty of God is the absolute rule and reign of God over every action and element of all creation, including every aspect and element of your life. The sovereignty of God. That it's his rule and his reign over all aspects of your life. And that might be easy to understand on the surface. If you don't think about it too much, it's easy to, yeah, I get that. God's in control of all things. But think about it. When what was once good in your life has turned bad in life, he's sovereign over that. When the dreams you once had turned to nightmares, he absolutely rules and reigns over those. See, it's easy when you're young to believe in this stuff because when you're young, you're full of idealism. And what happens when you get old is your idealism is changed into reality. And reality is often very different than idealism. Anybody old like me can say amen to that? Amen. And so what happens when your idealism is confronted with the cold, hard truth of reality. And because most people don't understand these two foundational doctrines, salvation by God and sovereignty of God, what happens when they don't really believe that nor are convinced of it, most people's God is too small. And the, the, the way we know that our God is too small is because we believe that God wants me to be happy. And that God will change what he has always said so that I can be happy and fulfilled. That's a pretty small God. You understand? And when one, when one doesn't understand the, understand the doctrine of salvation by God, 
what will happen is they will try every other thing to be made right with God and all those other things will be behavioral and I'll try to be a good person and I'll try to obey what I'm supposed to obey and inevitably they will always fall short because you cannot be good enough all the time. And as a result of that, that God is too small and you will miss salvation. And when one doesn't understand and is convinced of the sovereignty of God, their God is just too small. And if you don't understand and believe and, and give yourself to the sovereignty of God, there's no way that you will fully trust and obey his commands. Because after all, If you understood what I'm going through in life, you would understand why I respond the way I do, right? And see, if I don't fully understand and trust the sovereignty of God, I will respond to things in my life the way I want to respond to them in a way that makes me feel better about my... So for instance, if you're single, here's what you understand. If you don't understand the sovereignty of God, you will compromise your dating relationships. Because after all, I've been single long enough. I really like this person. I really want to be in this relationship. Even if it's contrary to God's word, I'm going to do it anyway. Because after all, I know what I want. I know what's best for me. Right? What I said was right. But the attitude's wrong. You see how quickly everything devolves when you don't believe the sovereignty of God. Yeah. Yeah. See, when we don't believe and really give ourselves to the sovereignty of God, what I will do is resist forgiving those who have wronged me. Because after all, I know what God has said, but really? And if I don't believe in the sovereignty of God, this, this is why, let me... Can I just yeah, can yeah, push a little yeah, bit right here? Yeah. So here's the, if you don't really believe and trust the sovereignty of God, you will always struggle with tithing. Because at the end of the day, if God is sovereign, he can provide all your needs. So you don't mind giving away. But if I really don't trust his sovereignty, I'm going to hold on to what I got. You understand? If I really don't believe in his sovereignty, I'm a fight and bicker with other Christ followers, those with whom I should be at peace with. If I really don't believe in the sovereignty of God, I will worry all night, not be concerned about stuff, that's okay, but I'll worry to the point where I can't sleep at night, where I can't relax anymore, and where my blood pressure goes up. Because I really don't trust his sovereignty. If I really don't trust his sovereignty, I will be a ball of stress. Because I'm just unsure. I'm worried. Do you understand? We've talked about th this idea of putting ourselves in a position to be blessed. Not that we can live in such a way to manipulate God's hand for us. But if we put ourselves in a position to be blessed. Now, understand what that means is we can put ourselves and remove ourselves from the position of blessing also. And so there, there are ways that God has called us into relationship with him that enables us to live under the umbrella of his blessing. And we, there are seven of them. And, and this one, though it's the last one I'm looking at, it's the most important. Because this one allows us to stay in the position of blessing. See, the Christian life must be built on this foundation we're going to talk about today. 
It must be built on this foundation. Isaiah 7, 9 says this. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand firm at all. This is important. These seven things that we've talked about in this series in order to put ourselves in a position to be blessed. We talked about the idea that we have to keep ourselves in a position of prayer. And we have to keep ourselves then in a position of expectation of that prayer. And we have to keep ourselves in a position of trusting God in prayer. And then we talked about the idea that we have to keep ourselves in a position of letting some things go and oftentimes letting some people go. That's hard. And not just through the mental gymnastics of letting some things go, but we actually have to put ourselves in a position of actually leaving some things and some people behind. Because God deserves preeminence. Even over relationships. And then we have to keep ourselves in a position of embracing. Not just embracing the good stuff, that is, but embracing the actual thorns and the pains of life. And all of that is held together and enabled by this last thing, being a position of faithfulness. Now, let me tell you, here's the thing. There are two reasons why you and I try to be faithful to God. The first of those reasons is we try to be faithful to God in order to, to manipulate his hand. See, because we think that solely based on our good behavior, God will respond favorably to us. Because we're trying. Right? Okay. You don't want to agree with me in this? I don't care because I'm right. <laughs> we really think that if we're good enough and if we do it right, because of our behavior, God will respond favorably to us. Can I just be real honest with you? I was a youth pastor for a long time. And one of the things, and I grew up in church. Like six months before I was born, I started going to church. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and so when we went to old school church, that on Wednesday night, like you went to church Sunday morning at church, church, and then you went to, the school, to church Sunday morning for Sunday school, and then you went back to church Sunday night for night church, and then you went to church Wednesday night for, for potluck and dinner and then Bible study. Like all the time, it was like, it was ridiculous. It was good, but it was crazy. And, and so I, you know, I understand the church world. And here's, here's, here's how I know this is so true. That we believe if I just do it right, God's going to pour out his favor and everything's going to be good. And we try to manipulate his hand by being faithful. Here's how I know. Because when you're young and in church and you hear that you're not supposed to have sex before your marriage, you start thinking in your head, well, if I just don't have sex before I'm married, God's going to make my sex life awesome. And if there's anything that motivates a teenage boy... <laughs> and so this is what I'm saying like in every area we think well if I just do it right God's, God owes me a little some some but there's a second reason why we'll endeavor to be faithful and that's because we really do trust his sovereignty that he does know best and he really is in control so I will do things according to his word and according to his will because I trust his sovereignty to know what is best and how is best. That he will work all things together for my good. And when you're convinced of his sovereignty, you'll actually want to be faithful. It won't be a chore. 
and it won't be a drudgery, and it won't be work. Do you understand? You understand how important this is? Now, I realize I'm taking some time to get through this, um, but, but, but we need to get this right. See, when you're convinced in the sovereignty of God, you know that all this stuff that comes together, the good stuff and the bad stuff, is being mixed together to create some beauty. When you know, Heather, come up here and help me with this. I, I got another object lesson, uh, and so I brought my staple gun back. So, no, just kidding, no, just kidding, just kidding, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, is Brody here? He, he's not here. I, I need, um, I, I need, I need, I need someone to help me with this object lesson. I put my staple gun away. Um, and I would ha rather have a younger, energetic someone. You know what? Um, Richard, come up here. Come up here, Richard. Richard's about to, to, to have a little daughter again, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, you're not. Your wife is. Don't clap for him. He doesn't deserve no clap. You already got the fun stuff. Get over there. Okay. Your wife is going to go through it. But, uh. okay, so, so he, no, 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 just, okay. just saying, saying that. And so here's what I know. God has a very unique way of taking all the little pieces of our lives and putting it together for some good. But, but here's our problem. We view the individual elements of our lives, events of our lives, as good or bad. And our concept of God follows what we view to be either good or bad. So when things go great, we're like, yeah, God is awesome, man. I love him. He's so sovereign. He's so good. But when things go bad, we go, okay, wait, 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 time out. This isn't, like, this is who God is. And we get so stuck in the element that we miss the sovereignty. You understand what I'm saying? So, for instance, like when you bake a cake, there are some elements of a cake, Heather, that are, that are good, right? They're sweet, mm -hmm. right? So what's, what's one of those? Sugar. 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 So go ahead, take, take that. No, you're eating it. No, you're eating it. What? <laughs> yep. Now, you haven't met a meal you don't like. Eat it. <laughs> it's sugar. I'm not lying. Mm -hmm. That's not so bad, right? Okay, so some of the things we go through in life, like, hey, that was good, that was sweet, I like that. But there are other things we go oh, through in life God. that aren't so much that way, right? Wow. And so what do we got there, Heather? A little oil to help that sugar oh, Just down. a little Wesson oil. Not oil. Come on. You, you need oil this, in this is for Jesus, you have to. Okay, so it's, and there are some things that happen in life where we're like, okay, God, wait, time out. This is not good. I don't like this. Right. This is what you have planned for me, right? But there's other things. It's not always bad all the time. What is this, Heather? This is powdered sugar. Powdered sugar. That's okay. It's good. It's good. Right? That's all right. You can handle that. Like when God, th <laughs> when God throws a little sugar at us, we're okay with that, right? We're okay. And water's good. Water's good. But, but it's, not always, it's not always the sugar stuff, though, is it? Like and sometimes things look really good on, on, on the outset. Oh my God. No, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Like, like chocolate. Yeah. Unless it's baker's chocolate. It's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it's hard, to, it's hard to stomach, isn't it? It's hard to stomach, isn't it? No. <laughs> All I'm saying, like, this is how life goes sometimes, right? You get the good and the bad, and like, okay, wait, God, you're, you're, it's, it's almost like God's neurotic. Like, is it good? Is it bad? Who are you? The whole thing? 
Energetic, but he ain't real smart. I'm just saying. <laughs> and so, and so here's here's what I'm saying. Like we have all these events in life, and some of them are really positive, and some are really nasty, right? And and we lose sight of God's sovereignty, and all we can say is, God, you are good, or God, where are you? You understand what I'm saying? Because we judge God by the events that we experience. But somehow, God has a way in his sovereignty of taking the good and the bad that we would understand him individually and putting it all together. The Bible says God works all things together for good, right? And so he has a way of mixing them all together, so it comes out to be not so bad, right? Not so bad. And this is, this, but, but, but see, God's not done. God has a way of taking all this stuff and then putting it in a fire. And he puts it in a fire. And when he is, who has shown us that he is good and he's put these things together, but then, and we're thinking this is fantastic, but then when he puts us in a fire, we're thinking, God, you don't leave me in this fire too long. Don't leave me in the flames too long because if you leave me too long, I'm going to get burned. And if you leave me too long, you're going to ruin everything that you've been doing. But see, God in his sovereignty knows exactly how long to leave you there and takes you out right at the right time so we get a what? So we get a cake. Right? I'm really good. Go ahead. Take a bite. Oh, okay. When God gets done, when God gets done mixing all things together, after the tribulation of fires, he does something beautiful, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. It's all right, isn't it? Yeah. Take your cake, go sit down with your wife, and give them a hand, will you? That is God's sovereignty. That's his sovereignty. But we get so caught up in the events and the elements, the individuals of it. And sometimes we're eating baker's chocolate and salt and and oil and thinking, God, what are you doing? He says, if you just hold on, I got something beautiful I'm going to do. And God's sovereignty is when he takes every ill and every pain and mixes those together through the fire of tribulation for just the right amount of time and takes you one step closer to his destiny for your life. And God's destiny and plan for you will not be thwarted by anything that appears from our perspective as a mistake, as a problem, or as trouble. See, when you are convinced of God's sovereignty, then I can be faithful regardless of the events. Joseph was a man through incredible turmoil, through the incredible events of pain and abuse, forgotten time and time and time again, was faithful because he never forgot God's sovereignty. God was at the center of Joseph's life through it all. And I want to explain to you Joseph's life. Some of you are aware of who Joseph was in the context of his story. Some of you are not. And I want to do my best to thumbnail sketch it for you. It's found in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapters 37 through 50. And I'm not going to read them all to you. So relax. But I want to pick up Joseph's story about the time he's 17 years old. 
And for the first 17 years of Joseph's life, everything was great. He was part of a, a very successful, prosperous family. He had the world by the tail. But his home was one that was ruled by his two parents uh, who were absolutely overindulgent towards him. Uh, at this point, he was the youngest, and he had 10 at this point, probably, uh, older half-brothers. And his parents were incredibly overindulgent. Actually, his mom, his, his, this was her first son, and this was his father's favorite son, the Bible tells us. And when you have one son amongst 11 at this point, who was your most favorite, it's going to cause some friction. And this family was one of turmoil, and this little 17-year-old boy was spoiled rotten. He didn't have to work. He didn't have to do what all the other young men and old men in his life had to do. He was absolutely spoiled. You talk about helicopter parents today. These two parents wrote the book on it. And, and, and the Bible doesn't say this, but we can kind of infer. Matter of fact, the, 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 Joseph is one of, uh, one of three people in the Bible of whom nothing explicitly evil is ever written of. But we can infer from what we read that he's, he's either arrogant or he's ignorant. Um, in, 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 in our leadership world, we talk about uh, a lack of emotional intelligence. And it, oh, he's 17 years old, so we've got to cut him a little slack. But, but he has these dreams that God gave him of being a ruler, of being preeminent, of being in charge of people's lives and, and nations. And, and he had the gall or the ignorance to go to his older brothers and say, hey, there's going to come a time when you're going to bow down to me. Now, is that going to go well with any sibling? And so as a result, his brothers hated him. They absolutely hated him. And they were all his half-brothers at this point. His, his daddy had, had a few different women through which he had sons. And so they hated him so much that they were off working one day. And his dad said, hey, Joseph, I know you don't have to do all that manual labor that the others do. But I want you to go check on them and make sure they're doing what I asked them to do. And so he's this little snitch, 17-year-old snitch that goes and checks on his brothers and is supposed to come back and tell his daddy how they're doing. Well, they see him and they just come to work. I'm like, oh, we got we to off this kid, man. Like, we're sick and tired of him. We got to kill him. Uh, and so what happens is one of his brothers says, no, let's not kill him. Let's, let's at least make some money off him. And they had these big cisterns in the wilderness back then. And these cisterns were big holes in the ground that narrow at the top and they wider as they went down. They were, they were used to hold water so ranchers and shepherds could draw water and feed their flocks. And, and, and so they were near, his brothers were near one that was completely dry. So they said, let's throw them down in this thing. Let's just storm for a little bit. We'll make some money off them. And they see these marauders coming in in the distance, these Ishmaelites and Midianites. And they said, well, let's sell him. And so they sell him. And he's one of the early records we have in the biblical text of human trafficking. He's 17 years old. And he's, he's sold to the Midianites who then give him to the Ishmaelites who then sell him to the Egyptians. 17 years old. And at this point, things started so good for the first 17 years. But what happens when what's good goes bad. What happens when the dreams of blessing and favor turn to nightmares of the real world? 
And it just so happens that he sold into the, the Egyptian government, the people of the Egyptian government, sold to a man named Potiphar, who was in charge of the prison of the enemies of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he sold into Potiphar's house to be his servant, his slave. And under Potiphar's house, God's hand is so powerfully on Joseph that everything Joseph touches on behalf of Potiphar, second in the command of the nation of the country of Israel, thrives. And he raises from a slave to the second in command of Potiphar's house, almost second in command of the nation. And he, Potiphar says to Joseph, I put you in charge of everything. You have free reign to anything in my house except my wife. Keep your hands off her. And Joseph says, ain't nothing but a thing. It's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll behave myself. And so he behaves himself under Potiphar's house. But Potiphar's wife sees this young good looking thing. And she says, I want you to sleep with me. Now, in the culture of that day, it was very common for the house servants to sleep with the woman of the house. And if they pleased her, they would raise in power and prominence as well. So this was a very common understood thing. That's just part of what you did. But Joseph said no. And in multiple propositions of him, he finally runs out of the house and she has his coat and she rips his coat off him. And then she realizes that she has just been denied. And she holds up the coat and screams. People come running. She said, that Hebrew slave tried to rape me. And everybody believes her because after all, he's just a slave. He got no rights. He's innocent, but he's convicted. And then Potiphar hears about it. And Potiphar says, what? That boy tried to rape my wife? And the Bible says he was angry with Joseph. And he, after he had been sold multiple times and risen to power, and part, he was accused of rape. And as a result of being accused of rape, he was then by Potiphar thrown in jail. Because what was Potiphar's job? He was in charge of the jails. Now, let me just give you some insight. The penalty in this culture in this time for rape, for adultery, was death. The Bible says that Potiphar, in hearing of the accusation of his wife, was angry and did what to Joseph? Put him in jail. What was the penalty? What should it have been? What does that tell you? It tells you that even Potiphar knew that Joseph was innocent. Joseph knew he was innocent. God knew he was innocent. Potiphar knew he Because if Potiphar believed that he was guilty, he would have killed him. The reason why Potiphar was angry is because he knew his wife was lying. But he had to do something. And so here's Joseph. This young man who had been betrayed by his family, sold and sold twice, now accused of a crime worthy of capital punishment, of which he was innocent of, and everybody knew he was innocent, sits in jail. Where is God now? Right? And when he was in prison, again, favor. Two people along with him in prison, the king's cupbearer and baker are in prison. They're in charge of keeping the king fed and safe. They're in prison because the king believes one of them's out to kill him. And so they have a conversation with Joseph in which they have these dreams. And Joseph, they said, Joseph, can you tell us the meaning of these dreams? And Joseph said, yeah, one of you is going to be okay. The other one's going to die tomorrow. And he's like, oh, my God. And so what happened is the baker was the one who's trying to kill the king, and he died. They killed him. 
And the cupbearer was set free. And Joseph told him, before, like, before it gets too long, would you please tell Pharaoh about, don't forget about me. And what happened? Guy got his freedom, forgot all about Joseph. Two more years, Joseph sits in jail. Two more years. And then the Pharaoh has a dream and nobody can interpret it. And in that moment, the cupbearer thinks, oh, I know this guy. I know this guy. He's done it before. And so they get Joseph out of prison and they say, interpret the king's dreams. And Joseph interprets this famine. And then the king's like, well, we got to have someone who can, who can manage the nation through this famine. Joseph, you might be the guy. And in a day's time, he goes from the, 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 the prison to the palace and he devises this plan how to take care of the nation. And all of a sudden, he's promoted. And in that moment, I'm sure he's thinking, finally, finally, God, it's all coming together, right? And then as it would happen, as the famine hit the land and the lands around Egypt, his brother and his family starts to feel the effects of the famine. Now, they have no idea anything that's happened to Joseph. And through the course of time, his brothers come to Egypt looking for food. He's second in command of, the, of Egypt now. And they have no idea because he, he's walking like an Egyptian. <laughs> Shout out to my Bengals fans out there back in the 80s. And so they're facing Joseph. I want you to understand something. This young man has spent 13 years as a slave in prison. From the time he was 17 to the time he was 30 years old. It's 13 years as a slave in prison. And now God has delivered him. But now he faces the same brothers that sold him into slavery. At this point, when he faces his brothers, it's been 22 years since they sold him. He's 39 years old now. And you got to know, in his life, he's probably thinking, finally, now it's going to, now the fit's going to hit the shan. You know what I'm saying? Like, God has finally been faithful. I'm 39. I'm a grown man now. And now I'm looking at my brother. Guess what? Guess what kind of hell is about ready to send on their life? I mean, wouldn't that be us? Yeah. 22 years later, there's revelation and reunion. And he looks at his brother's. And this is what amazes me about this story. Joseph was so convinced of God's sovereignty. So convinced of his sovereignty. He says this to his brothers. What you meant for evil against me, God meant for good. One of the most profound verses in all of scripture, you need to memorize Genesis 50 verse 20. He says, God was sovereign over all the events, even the evil events. Now, here's, here's and, and I realize that I'm already uh, out of time, but I'm almost halfway done with my notes. Here's the thing. You need to, lo you need to get this. So if you got to go, I understand. You can listen to the rest of online, but I'm going to press in through this. Is that okay? Because this is really, really, really important. And I want you to understand that this whole idea of the sovereignty of God, Joseph had this in his mind. He had this at the core of his being before he went through all, like this is what enabled 
enabled him to go through all of this to be able to come out on the backside and say what you went for evil, God intended for good. Here's how I know. In Genesis 41, nine chapters before he made that statement, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Nine chapters before that, he speaks about the idea that God is sovereign over all the ups and downs of his life because he has two sons and he names those sons Manasseh and Ephraim. And Manasseh means literally God has made me forget my turmoil and the trouble of my past. And Ephraim means God has been doubly fruitful and good to me. He had on his, his as the, the center of his heart that God is control of it all and God will get me past the turmoil and the trouble of my past and God will deliver me into a doubly blessed future. He named his sons this because this is who he was on the inside. You understand what I'm saying? So when we go through this stuff and we're still stuck in the pain of our past and the trouble in our past and the offense of our past and we still live there, it's because we have forgotten the sovereignty of God. You understand? Let me help you understand this. I'm going to tell you how you know, how you can discern for yourself if you trust the sovereignty of God or not. The hallmark sign that you understand and trust the sovereignty of God is that you don't complain. Y'all got real quiet. Did you, through all of this, you read the Bible for yourself, through all of this, Joseph never complained. We complain if someone posts something bad about us. Right? See, the only reason we complain is because we think we know, God, we know better. Why could you? How could you? Sovereignty says, God, I know you know best. Now, some of you have walked through hell and you've never complained. I know some of your stories. And some of you understand the sovereignty of God. And you are people I want to be around. But the vast majority? See, many of us are more faithful to other people and other things than we are to God. Example, you know that you are more faithful to your social media platforms than you are to God. All you got to do is look at what you post. Does it create peace or division? It's pretty simple. Can I push a little bit? (laughs) You know if you're more faithful to materialism than you are to the Father. Because when you have a choice of what to do with your money... You spin on your desires before you choose to honor God with it. Can I push it a little bit? You know, you just just for us parents. You know, we parents, we know if we're more faithful to our child than we are to God. How do we know that? Because when our child is offended or hurt, we revenge our child rather than represent Christ. Can I push it a little bit? No, I'll, I'll be done. How's that? Here's the thing. Here's what we got to get. The one thing that will make God's sovereignty bearable is that God's love informs his sovereignty. His love informs, like, don't let this miss you. God is not arbitrary. If his sovereignty were arbitrary, we would simply be victims to his whims. And we are not victims to the whims of God. 
The Bible says God is love. One of his names is Jehovah Nisi, which means God is our banner. And that if you understand what that means, you will go back to the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4, which the writer says, your banner over me is love. And for God to be our banner, it means his covering over us is his love. And his love informs his sovereignty. We're not victims to the whims of God. His sovereignty is driven by his love for us. And so great is his love for us that he didn't spare his own son for us. See, the thing that covers us is not just the sovereignty of God. It's the very love of him. See, I can trust God's sovereignty because God's covered me with his love. So everything he asks of me, even if it feels like it cuts to the contrary of who I feel like I am, is motivated by his love and his sovereign will and word must be honored. See, Joseph was faithful to trust God's sovereignty and he was faithful to trust God's hand and he was faithful not to allow his heart to become bitter. Band, come up here. I, I got to get done here. See, Joseph could be faithful through all of that because he was first convinced of God's love. And because he was convinced of God's love, then he could trust God's sovereignty. Just hear me. I feel like I need to press this. Just hear me. If it's difficult for you to abide by God's word and obey his command, it's because you don't trust his sovereignty. And the reason you don't trust his sovereignty is because you're not convinced of his love. Because if you were convinced of his love, you would trust him. See, this is really important. In Joseph's life, God never spoke to Joseph after he spoke to him about those dreams when he was 17 years old. God just stopped talking to him. In, until chapter 40, until chapter 41, when Joseph was 30 years old. There was 13 years where God, according to Scripture, didn't speak to Joseph again. 13 years when God was silent. 13 years in all these ups and downs when you're like, God, I just need to know that you still know me and you still care and you're still in control. 13 years God never spoke to him again. But he was so convinced on the front of God's love and sovereignty, he didn't question it. Can you go 13 years without God talking? Now that's important, but this is more important. -er. <laughs> Joseph lived 110 years. He was an old man. God first spoke to him about God's sovereignty when he was 17. Understand, for the next 93 years, of Joseph's life. Nowhere in scripture during that 93 years did God ever once speak to him again about his sovereignty. 93 years where God said, I told you once, I don't have to tell you again. You're either going to believe me or you're going to doubt me. And the choice of that is going to determine the outcome of your life. After all the stuff Joseph went to, he was so convinced of God's love that he trusted God's sovereignty even in God's silence. He, like Jesus, could consider it all joy, my brethren.
I came here today for one reason. Because I want you to realize God's profound love for you. That he loves you just like you are. But he loves you way too much. Let's just stay that way. I came here for one reason. Because I want to encourage you to choose now to trust God. First, for salvation. To in the deepness of your depths of your heart, to understand that you have sinned. You've broken God's laws and command. That makes you a sinner, makes me a sinner. And the only way we're made right with God is through the substitutional atonement, death of Jesus on the cross for our sins. And so we come to God and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm living in it right now. I need your forgiveness. And I need you to make me new. And then to choose to trust God's sovereignty. Trust him. His rule and his reign over every other aspect of your life. And say, God, I'm going to rest in your sovereignty through the tempest and the storms. I'm not going to doubt that you are still in control. Your hand is still upon me. Your hand is still with me. And like the cake that you are making all things, and they're going to put me in a fire, and that's okay, because I know you're not going to leave me there long enough, but I'm going to trust you in the midst of it. And even if God didn't talk to you again for 13 years, and even if he's silent, that you trust him. And you give your life wholly to him. You ready? This is the hardest thing. Because I know when all hell breaks loose. And I know when you're scared about all hell breaking loose. To surrender, say, God, I trust you. Like Isaiah said, if you can't stand firm, stand firm in faith, you don't stand firm at all. So you're ready to stand firm? Be careful. If you do, he's going to ask for some changes. He's going to ask that you trust him. Some of you are going to get spoonfuls of salt and oil. Some of you are going to be put in a, in a furnace. You're, you're going to be tested. But if you trust his sovereignty, you're going to be all right. You ready? Pray with me. Let me just pray over us first. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you proved your love for us, that before the beginning of the world that you created us and you chose us to be yours through relationship with your son. Thank you that you chose from the beginning of all creation that your son would die on the cross so our sins could be forgiven. Thank you that before we ever drew a breath, you mapped out our lives and you desire us to have a relationship with you. So in this moment, whether for the first time or the 700th time. Some of us here want to re-establish that relationship with you. 
So in the quietness of your own heart, just say, Father, thank you that you love me. I admit I'm a sinner. I've broken your law and I'm sorry. Tell him, say, I'm living against your commands right now. And I'm sorry. Forgive me. I need you to come into my life and make me new on the inside. Take that first step, the most important thing you could do. The second is this. Bring yourself in line with the sovereignty. Father, I trust you. For whatever reason, you've chosen to give me nothing but salt and oil and raw eggs right now. That's all you've given me. But I know that's not the end of my story. And I know that you're mixing it all together. And so I will trust you in the midst of the mixture. And I know that you're still going to put me through fire. And I trust your sovereignty even in the heat and even in the flames. Today, Father, I trust you and your sovereignty over me. I tell him this, I give you permission to have authority over my life. Father, thank you that even in the middle of the storm, that we can trust your sovereignty. And so in the middle of the storm, in the midst of the tempest, in the middle of the oven and the fire, louder and louder will be our praise. Not because everything's great right now, but because you are great always. And we give ourselves because of your love to your sovereignty. Have your way, amen.